So at the end of, tail end of my sophomore year of college, uh, I started dating the woman that I've now married. Uh, it was awesome and also terrible early on. Um, not her fault, all mostly on me, but we were going to work at a camp this summer. We had been dating for like three months and we were going to work at one of those camps where you work for the full summer and you get like 30 seconds to talk to friends and family on the weekend. Uh, and that's about it of the time that you have. And so uh, we were going to camp and we were headed off to orientation for this camp. Uh, Abby's going to go work for the full summer. I'm just working half a summer. And we were at this really weird place, right? Because it was clear to me that I was much further along as far as what I wanted from this relationship. Uh, Whereas Abby had on our first date said she was very happy being single. So the fact that we were dating was a huge win for me. Uh, Not even accounting for my dating history or lack thereof. Like this was a big, big thing for me. But also there, I had just a ton of insecurities. That's part of who I am. That's part of my flaws and failures. But in my mind, it was like, she's going to go to camp and see all these other dudes that can run without breathing hard. And it's going to be great. Like (laughs) she's going to think that guy's awesome. Um, and here will I be. And so there's, there's kind of this back and forth, but I was incredibly insecure and incredibly worried. Because I knew what I wanted and I knew I wanted to go somewhere with this relationship and I didn't really know what she wanted. Uh, and so it's creating this incredible tension. We're about to be away for three months and um, we're walking into orientation for camp. And you know, you've got like hundreds of college students from all around the country that just like love Jesus with everything. And I'm wrestling with this reality. I know I'm supposed to be spiritual. I know things are supposed to be okay right now. Uh, and, and so, I mean, I've just had this like conflicted moment because as a guy, I can't just tell her what's going on with me. Heaven forbid. Um, I have to just act like everything's okay and pretend like everything's fine. And so we're walking in and, and I'll, I will never forget. We're walking into this big auditorium area and I, I kind of peel off cause I'm going to go try and spiritually get my mind right. But out of my eye, I see this guy come up to Abby now. Okay. This dude, <laughs> Y'all, this, this guy, this is a situation. So when Abby and I had first started dating, he was the guy that said to her after she said, oh, I'm going with Jared we're to this semi-formal we're dating now. He was like, oh, cool. I was going to ask you. And it's like, mm, bro, I see you. Okay. I know what you're trying to do there. And he kind of did these little things where I was like, I don't know that I really like this. And so all these insecurities that are in my heart and in my mind are kind of coming out and I see her and I'm trying to focus. I'm trying to be spiritual, but I see her with this guy and they, they do the thing where they go to hug and it's like they both go the same way and my little heart's going, uh, and then they stop. But then I see him kind of talk and then he leans in, leans in and he kisses her on the cheek, which I was going, yeah, that reaction right there. That was my reaction. Like I was going, what is happening? And so I like, make a beeline over to where they're standing. And she's taken aback. And Abby's like, he just kissed me. And everything in me just wanted to punch him in the face right there in that moment. Like, I know, okay, I'm at a Christian camp. I probably can't do that. And again, with the like (laughs) physical activity or lack thereof, like this was not a good situation. So like I was balancing, what do I do? And so to me, the right thing in that moment in order to be able to overcome all of this was to fake tackle him and then punch him in the gut twice while I was like fake tackling him. I don't know. That wasn't like the wisest decision, but that's what happened. And he's going, he was like, dude, you just punched me. And I was like, yes. And don't ever do that again. And then I just walked away because in that moment I was caught in this thing of like, I have to somehow deal with all of this insecurity. And this was the best solution that I had. I know, I know I was 20. Okay. 
This is Grace Bible Church. Come on, y'all. Um, but I'm sitting there and I'm trying desperately to conquer all this stuff that's happening in my heart and in my mind. And I give all of my effort and the reality is Abby saw right through all that. It didn't make her love me more. I wasn't some knight that was coming to her rescue. She was like, that wasn't about me. That was about you. That was about your attempts to solve the issues in your heart. And I get that. But we all have victories that we are trying to win on our own and through our own strength and on our own power. We all have things that we are trying to accomplish through the grit of our own teeth and the strength of our own will. And all of us are constantly failing. Constantly. So much that we begin to look at ourselves and define ourselves as failures. But today we get to look at the resurrection. Today we get to look at a reality that Jesus Christ is victorious. And because he is victorious, it defines for us a reality about how we live and work and operate in this world. And so I want us to see this today as we look in Matthew 28. It's that the risen Savior has victory over the world that he rules. As we think about all the things that we're trying to accomplish and all the things that we're trying to tackle and conquer and have victory over, we desperately need to be reminded that the risen Savior has victory over the world that he rules. Now, we're going to do something a little different we're going to look at some implications of the resurrection by not looking in this Matthew passage, and then we're going to come back to it at the end. So I want to jump into a couple other passages. I'm not going to have you flip around. We're going to put those up on the screen today. So don't feel like you've got to like flip-flop all over. This isn't Bible drill. I did that. It's okay. All right? So the first thing we want to see is in the victorious resurrection, Christ is vic- has victory over death. In the victorious resurrection, Christ has victory over death. Check this out in Romans 6. Paul says this, we know, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Now this is a big deal because we've seen other people be raised from the dead in scripture, right? There's, we've seen Jesus raise little kids from the dead. We've seen, uh, Lazarus comes back from the dead. We, there's this really cool story. This is one of my favorite old Testament stories. These buddies are carrying their friend who had died to go bury him and some Philistines come and attack. And so they throw him into a cave but in that cave is, uh, has been buried a prophet. And as soon as this guy touches the bones, the dead guy touches the bones of the prophet, he comes back to life and just walks on out. So weird. But we've had people who've been resurrected from the dead. The difference between them and Jesus is that all of them died again. Their resurrection was momentary. Their resurrection didn't conquer death. Their resurrection was a temporary release from that affliction. But when Jesus has victory over death, Christ being raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And so because death doesn't have dominion over Christ anymore, we also know this reality for us. Hebrews 2, for we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So Christ experienced this death, not just on his behalf, not just so he can say, oh, I have victory, but so that everyone may have this opportunity 
to experience Christ's victory over death. So what does that look like? Well, Paul starts throwing some shade, if I can steal some words from my kids. Uh, in verse 15 of cha- or in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Like, it's not enough that it actually happened. Like, Paul's just, like, rubbing it in death's face. Like, you used to be victorious over us. Death, you used to rule over us. And every single person that ever existed on the planet was going to die. But now, where's your victory? You got nothing. Because Jesus beat you. And so Christ is victorious over death. And yet we have this, this reality that death still exists in this world. Like, I don't know if you've been in the room when someone's died. Like, not like at a funeral home where, like, they've had the time to, like, make up the body and do all that kind of stuff. Like, actually in the room where someone's died, y'all. It's a horrible thing. To see this body that was once full of spirit and once full of life and and once full of something to become just material. You look at that and go, okay, how Christ can you have victory over death and yet this thing still be true? And this thing still exists. And what I want you guys to remember is don't confuse the presence of death with victory of death, right? Just because death is still here, just because death is still present, doesn't mean that death has been victorious or that Christ hasn't been victorious. What it means is that we as Christians get to walk in this tension, okay? We get to walk in this tension of looking at it and saying, okay, we know Christ is victorious over death and we know that we have a hope for a future, but we also know that God in his wisdom has not deemed for that future to be now. And so there's still suffering and it's hard and it's, it is actually hard. It isn't just wipe it away with a Bible verse from out of context hard. It is like actually hard. And so that's why scripture says mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ promises victory over death that allows us to be able to do that in a way that has hope. It allows us to be able to do that with attention of recognizing what was lost, but a hope for the future. So my brother and sister-in-law just moved to Denver, and we're super excited for them. Uh, but they used to live in Houston, and so uh, barring major catastrophes on 290, they used to be able to make pretty clear trips up here to Bryan College Station. And my sister-in-law would come see our two kids, and they loved them. They spent all this time with Aunt Livy. And when my brother-in-law got this opportunity for Denver, they were so excited. I mean, they are thrilled. It's a great work opportunity for him. But also, there's something lost in it. Right? We're losing the opportunities to be as close as a family. And that doesn't mean they shouldn't go. And that doesn't mean it's a horrible thing. It just means that there's tension in life. There's tension in these realities. And if we didn't know that their job was good, if we didn't know that their future in Denver was going to be good, then, then yeah, it would be really sad and really hard. But because we know that future is good, we can help cope and mourn with what's lost. Not ignoring it. Not acting like it's not important, like it's something to just throw away, but truly celebrating it by recognizing this thing, we've lost it, but we have hope. When we say Christ has victory over death, that's what we give. And maybe you've lost a loved one or a friend or 
And as you try to cope with that, no, we're not trying to release that tension within our faith. Christ's victory over death doesn't mean you have to say, oh, this doesn't hurt. It means you can say, this hurts and I have hope. It means you can say, this is hard and I believe. It's both. And so we talk about Christ having victory over death. And I think one of the best ways that we can live this out is to talk about how do we mourn with those who mourn? How do we grieve? As a culture, we've not always done the best job of really grieving with those who have lost. Part of it, I think, is, is some of our own questioning of, of what's really happening here. But, but if Christ has victory over death, then that allows us as Christians to say, man, I can hurt with you. Not I can fix it. Christ's victory over death means I can hurt with you, not I can fix this. It gives us that freedom to hold that intention. And so the victorious resurrection starts by giving us victory over death. But not only that, it also gives us victory over sin. And so we look in Romans 6 again. Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is laying out this very precise argument in the book of Romans. And one of the pieces to this argument is this idea. The God who created the world such that Adam and Eve would not have died. There was a tree of life that was in the middle of the garden and that was intended so that Adam and Eve would live for eternity, walking with the Lord in the garden that God had created. But when sin entered into the world, when Genesis 3 happened within the Christian narrative, what comes into our world is death. And the wage or the payment of sin is death. And we see this in Genesis 3. God has been going through all of the different consequences of sin, all of the consequences for the snake or the serpent and for the woman and for the man. And it culminates in this thing. For you are dust and the dust you shall return. And don't miss the the absolute deconstruction there. Because in Genesis 2, it tells us that God made man from the dust. And it's literally this picture of poof. This thing that God had made, this thing as God created, sin has so destroyed and captivated it that it's doing the exact opposite of what God had intended. So death is a problem. But sin is the problem behind death, right? If Christ conquers death but doesn't conquer sin with the resurrection, we still have an issue. And so, we see this. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christ's resurrection was not just one that defeated death, but also he died to sin so that when he lived, his resurrection would give us victory over sin itself. We have been set free. But I don't know about you, if you're like me, we spend so much time thinking about the places that I failed. God, I only read my Bible this many times this week. God, I only prayed this many times this week. God, I didn't pray for that person I said I'd pray for. I'm, I'm not doing this thing. I, I messed up in this area. And we begin to look at ourselves through the lens of the sin 
that Christ died to. And we look at ourselves as failures, but instead we're encouraged Consider, actively think, actively engage your mind to think of yourself as alive to God, as no longer a sinner. It's not going to come natural to us. And the only way we do that is by turning our eyes to Christ. We see this in 1 Corinthians. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This victory doesn't come through you fighting your way through it, right? Passive aggressively or aggressive aggressively, right? Like it doesn't come through you, through your own efforts, fighting and willing your way through. The only way for us to experience victory is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's by turning to him, by turning to his victory. Well, Jared, what is, does that mean I just get to sit on my couch and not do anything spiritually? No. We're saying that the method by which we fight, the effort that we put in, is not effort towards our own righteousness, but effort to look up. Blake used this analogy of trying to walk across the street with his kids a few weeks ago, and I resonate with that because my two-year-old right now is in like a pick-up-everything-and-eat-it mode. So we'll go, and it's kind of gross, because we'll go to like high school softball games, and there's food from I don't know when on the bleachers. And Gabe's like, oh, cool, mine. And I'm no! Like, oh my gosh, this is going to be horrible. Because he's going and walking, and he's just looking down at the ground and picking up whatever he wants. And so I'm like, hey, grab my hand, look where I'm going, and follow this way. You want to get across the street with a kid that age? You want to get through this parking lot? Okay, stay focused. Take my hand and let me lead you. It's not that you're not putting in any effort. It's just that your effort is solely directed towards your focus and attention on Jesus Christ. That's not a silver bullet. It's not going to solve all your issues. It's not going to solve everything. But that's the beauty of our gospel. It's it's not for you to be solved. It's that Christ is the solution. And so that's where we turn to in the victorious resurrection. We look and say that the victory that we have is a victory over sin. Now here's the reality. Sin is trying to kill you. It wants to choke the very life out of you. And it wants to do it in a very secret way so that you never see it coming. Sin wants you to believe that the things that are happening in your life can stay small. Like it can be in that corner of your heart or that corner of your mind where nobody else knows about it and it won't have any effect. Sin wants you to believe that it's not really trying to hurt you. It just, it wants you to enjoy this thing. But sin wants to destroy you. I'll never forget, we... um, our two-year-old son, Gabe, was born uh, with club feet, uh, so his feet were turned in. And so that meant that uh, nine days, at nine days old, we had to start driving to Houston once a week for them to put casts on his feet, uh, which was horrible for him and horrible as a parent to watch. And part of that was uh, at the three-month point, they needed to do a surgery on our son. They needed to take him back and cut some tendons uh, to be able to loosen some joints and do some things. And, and again, as a parent, it's just never anything that you imagine. And we've, we've had some medical issues. My wife had cancer whenever she was like 22. And, and our other son had some, some things that, uh, in, in utero that we were concerned about. And, and honestly, if I can tell you all, like I blame the Lord really for all that. Like I was really mad at him. And I didn't understand 
why he would let those things happen. I'm like, hey, I'm, in, I'm here in seminary. Like, God, like, what else, what else am I supposed to do for you? And so we get to this moment where uh, we're three months into this time of casting and we're about to walk into this surgery and, and we've been noticing that when we take Gabe's casts off, his feet don't move. Uh, they're doing these things and like tickling his feet that shouldn't make him move and they're not. And, and, and we walk and, and you know, I don't, I'm not a doctor obviously. And so I'm kind of going, okay, hey, what, like what's happening? And they're like, well, we didn't, you know, we'll see. It's possible that once we do this surgery, things will be better. But I'm kind of noticing our doctor is like talking differently about it as we go. And so we get to that three month point and we're sitting there in the hospital room. I mean, I could take you to right where I was and Gabe had just gotten out of surgery. The doctor was telling us it was going well. And uh, Gabe woke up early from the anesthesia. Um, something about redheads were crazy. Um, and so, uh, uh, like, seriously, it's like a medical thing. I don't know. But he was, he was screaming. And so Abby bolts out of the room to go try and comfort him. And I'm sitting there with the doctor. And I'm like, hey, okay, w- what's actually going on? Is, some, is this surgery actually going to help him move his feet. And it was in that moment for the first time she told me, no, I think, I think something else is happening. And we found out later he's got a genetic condition and he doesn't have the ability to move his feet. And you sit there as a parent and with our history medically, everything in me could have just like, all right, Lord, this is over. But I was so thankful in that moment for the spirit because I just, I had this, the first thing that came into my brain was, this is what it means to still kill and destroy. That the sin in this world wants to break everything. That God didn't have to do that. Like God didn't do that to my kid. This is what sin wants to do to the people of God. This is what sin wants to do with this world. It wants to take this thing that God created to be good, people's ability to walk and run, and say, I'm going to break that, and I'm going to break it such that you then blame the God who created you for doing that. That is what sin wants. That is how it wants to choke the life out of you. And the only way we have victory over that sin the only way you have victory over the sin that is in your life right now that is either slowly choking you out or is actively telling you you should blame God for this thing, the only way is for us to remember that Christ is the one that came and had victory over that thing. You cannot will yourself not to think that anymore. You can't will yourself not to believe that anymore. Christ is your only refuge. And so if you're a non-believer and you're here for the first time, I don't know what you've heard about Jesus Christ, but can I tell you, this is the Jesus that we believe in. A Jesus that came to set the captives free. A Jesus that came to look at people who are hurting and dying and broken and say, I want to give you life and victory. This is our Jesus. This is our Savior. And can I tell you, if you're a Christian, this is our Jesus. This is our savior. Not one who asks you to believe one time and then fix everything else yourself. But a Jesus who says, I will walk with you. I will be your cornerstone every step of the way because I have victory over sin. And I want you to have it too. The victorious resurrection 
gives us a savior who can actually save. Not just that he died for our sins. We needed that. We did. But the beauty of the plan of the gospel is that God died for the sins and the payment that we owed, but he also set us free from the sin that so easily entangles us. The victorious resurrection gives us victory over death and it gives us victory over sin. And then finally, it gives us victory over fear. Now we're going to get actually into this Matthew 28. And I want you to see how often we use the word fear or see afraid in this passage. Now after the Sabbath, toward the day of dawn of the first day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. Okay, so this guy shows up and he's like, was like lightning and clothing was white as snow. And what happens in verse four? And for fear of him, the guards, these Roman guards, the baddest military on the planet right now, for fear of him, they trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not, the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for his risen as he said. So he gives them some directions and then the women start leaving. And what do we see? So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. And then we get verse nine and 10 on the way. Jesus met with them and said, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet where the scars were, where the nails had been, and they start worshiping him. And then Jesus said to them, he said to the women who were worshiping, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they they will see me. Fear, even though Christ is victorious over death and victorious over sin, fear is still a huge part of who we are. But don't mistake, like with death, don't mistake the presence of fear as meaning fear has victory, right? Fear was present with these women who were worshiping God. And yet, Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go, do this mission. Not because your fears are gone, but because your fears don't get to have power over you anymore. Just because fear is present doesn't mean it gets the power of victory. Just because fear is present doesn't mean it gets to paralyze you. And so we've celebrated these people who are up on these stages, who are going to the nations this summer. Are they afraid? I guarantee it. These aren't people that are up here because they don't fear at all. That fear is present, but the Lord has said, go therefore and make disciples. And Christ has given us victory over fear because he is victorious. And so they're growing. It's interesting here. uh, Culturally, the witness of a woman and the testimony of a woman at this time period wouldn't have meant anything. Ladies, I'm sorry for a lot, but I'm also sorry for that. (laughs) But it, it wouldn't have stood up in court. Like, that's not the way that you communicate this crazy message, right? You would have told a man, you would have told a man in some position of power so that he'd have had some credibility. Jesus is like, I don't care. I'm not afraid of my credibility. I don't have to fear. These women have been faithful. These women are here because they came out of hope and love. Jesus wasn't afraid for his gospel. 
He wasn't trying to scheme and put it in the best hands. He said, you, you're the best hands because you're faithful and because you love me. And I don't care what your gender is and I don't care what the culture says about you. I want you to take this message and carry it forward. It's a fear, even though it's present, does not have to paralyze us any longer. When I was a kid, I used to have a problem with creepy, no, right now even, I have a problem with creepy crawly things, like it's just not my jam. Um, Part of it is because one time, I think I was like six, I was at my grandmother's house, and I walked in and she she had like a Star Trek movie on, which is super cool, right grandma? Until they like puts a helmet on a dude and it's got like a bug in it that like crawls in a guy's ear and eats his brain. And then I'm like, not cool, grandma. Like, that's not cool. What's happening right now? And so creepy crawly things, like even ants, I don't really like. And so um, we've had, ants and I have had a history. It's been a problem. But there was one moment where uh, my, I used to help my dad wash our cars all the time. Uh, well, probably not all the time, dad, but uh, sometimes. And so I would like go dump out the soapy water and there was this huge ant pile in our yard. And I thought, okay, this is awesome. I'm going to win a huge victory for mankind over insects. Um, And I'm going to take this soapy water and I'm going to throw it on this ant pile. And then watch them all like squirm. It's going to be awesome. I know, it's bad. Um, so I, I did so. And then I didn't like stand there and look at them. I like, I, I like got away and I'm like watching and I, kid you not, five to 10 seconds later, I am covered in ants, like head to toe. And I'm just screaming. My parents have to like rush me to the bath and like put it, put me in like a shower to like get all of them off. It was terrible. And so now like I see an ant pile in my house and I'm on the lawn and I'm like, oh, and like walking super fast. Cause like, I don't want any part of that. Or like, I will like mow around them. Like, it's just not good. Because this thing happened in my past and now I know like wherever they are, they can like parachute down on me and I don't understand. I still, seriously, that's one of my questions for the Lord. Like, how did that happen? Like, I do not know. But that fear can drive us even now. And maybe it was something silly, but maybe for you it was something incredibly serious. You lost someone, you were hurt in some way. Something happened in your life And now fear is driving you, or better yet, paralyzing you. And so the presence of fear in your life is there, and you've given it victory. And you've said, hey, you get to run this thing. And that's not how we're called to live. God says, go therefore and make disciples. And that means sometimes you've got to go to another country even if your family's in shambles and you're worried about where things are going, you've got to go to another country. That means sometimes you've got to stand up and you've got to say, hey, we've got a race problem in this country. And I've got to go and have some conversations with people and I'm really afraid. I'm afraid of what they're going to think of me. I'm afraid of what they're going to tell me about myself. It means maybe we've got to have some gender conversations too. Then maybe we read this passage and we think about how the church, not grace, but like the church as a whole has talked about women. Maybe, maybe we need to have some of those conversations. And instead of letting fear of what somebody's going to tell you paralyze you, we look at this story and say, God has told us to go and be ministers of reconciliation, to go and make disciples. And so you are called 
And maybe for you, it's service. In this church, we've got needs all over the place. I got up here last week and talked about our needs for youth leaders, but I'm not the only place that has needs. We've got needs all over the place, y'all. And for some people, it's wisdom to not be involved, and that's fine. But for some of y'all, it's fear. You're afraid of what you're going to lose. And for all of us, we're called to go make disciples. And every single one of us deals with that fear. Is this conversation going to be awkward? What if the Lord calls me to leave all the things that I had planned and go somewhere else? What if it hurts this friendship? What if they laugh at me? What if, what if, and fear drives us? Christ has set you free. Not so you can be all powerful. He sets you free by giving you a place to turn to. By saying, Lord, I'm afraid, and even though I'm worshiping you, you still have a call to me. And so the victorious resurrection means that Christ, not us, Christ is the one who has victory over death, victory over sin, and victory over fear. And the only way that we experience that victory, the only way that we see that victory played out in our lives is by him. It's through him. There is nowhere else, there is no other name that we can run to. And so maybe for you, victory over death is an issue. Maybe you struggle with that and you need to go listen to Blake's sermon. Maybe you struggle with that because you don't know how to help people mourn. And you need to find somebody this week. And by the way, they're all around you. Find mourning people this week and just go and seek peace for them. Not comfort and not fixing it, but just seek to be present because you believe Christ has conquered death. Hold that intention. Maybe for some of you, there are sins in your life that are eating you because it wants to kill you. And for you to turn to Christ means the confession of that reality. The confession of I am blaming God for this thing or I'm letting this sin settle in me and I need to have a conversation with someone. Let's do that. Let's do that this week. Turn to Christ, not to yourself. Have conversations about the victorious king. And maybe for some of you it's fear. Maybe it's time to talk about what are you doing you come to church and you're kind of bored, but it's okay most of the time. And I mean, that's, I'm certainly not the best preacher ever, but there's also times that the Lord's calling you to something and he wants you to experience something deeper. And yeah, it's going to hurt. Those ant bites hurt, right? Like I was afraid of ants for a reason. You're afraid of these things for a reason. It does hurt. We're not trying to tell you it doesn't, but we're saying it's better. Is he safe? No. Is he good? Yes. Is the call of God safe? No. Is it good? Yes. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And so as we think about victory and we think about the victory that we're seeking in this life, maybe you're throwing your own punches, but it, it's not winning. I guarantee you it won't win in the end. But the risen Savior has victory over the world that he rules. Let's walk in that. Let's walk towards him this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this day and grateful for this chance to be reminded of this truth that your resurrection is one in which we turn to not just once, but always and forever. Father, you are good and you are great and you are glorious and may that glory be known through us and in us in every moment. 
What a wonderful name is the name of Jesus. We pray these things in your son's name by the spirit. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.